Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Strip by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I am your host, Steph Sia, aka Kimchi on stage. I am a digital content creator, so I have an OnlyFans. I do some online sex work, making videos, photos, all that fun stuff. I am also a former sugar baby and stripper and before I said former stripper more than a few episodes ago but I've just started dancing on stage again which has been really fun that's just a little bit about me of course the show is not about me so I want to introduce everyone to this week's guest I am bringing the hedonista onto the show today and this whole episode is going to be talking about harassment about stalking about how you can protect yourself protect your identity all this interesting stuff that we as sex workers need to know. So I know that the Hedonista has been sitting quietly here. Are you there? I am here. Yay! <laughs> I am so glad that we are finally able to connect and I could bring you on the show to do an episode because you like we've just we've connected we've been like instagram friends for how long now (laughs) i i believe i initially connected with you almost two two and a half years ago yeah it's been a long time coming so and and a lot of stuff has happened you know in the world at large and in vancouver and in our community as well so yes yeah there's so much stuff going on so i want you to tell the audience who you are what you do in your own words on your own terms and go wow no pressure no pressure whatsoever go take the mic take the mic (laughs) um so i have been uh in the adult entertainment industry or sex work industry um i put both of them out there because some people Some people find that the sanitized version of adult entertainment is easier to hear or listen to. And uh, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people need to be validated that if that's how you would like to see what we do, then feel free to see it that way. Um, Totally. So I've been in this industry for seven years. Uh, I'm going into my eighth year um, this May. Wow. Yeah, I'm I'm a BC girl. um, Yay. Come from... Yes, I know. Born here, <laughs> come from immigrant parents, um, very religious uh, immigrant parents, actually, and um, fun. <laughs> um, was raised here in a very kind of conservative, almost pseudo cult-ish, I will say, oh. uh, German Baptist situation. At least for the first five or six years of my life, I'm the eldest of five kids. Yeah, I had a very interesting, very conservative, small-town, religious first few years of my life. And I think part of what has uh, made me search for liberal, open-minded spaces and things to do with my life, which has eventually led me to where I am now, Mm -hmm. um, was that kind of conservative upbringing. So um, that's... That's where I came from, and obviously all of us have a really long, complex story with a lot of details in between that could fill a couple books. <laughs> yes. Um, but that, that to me is relevant um, because I do see it as one of the pivotal things that made me, made me realize that I was a little bit different in the sense that I didn't want that kind of conservative life. I was right. the church-going type, 
I was that little girl that when you took me to church on Sunday and they were singing the hymns and everyone was standing in perfectly straight rows, I would get up and try to dance at the back of the church, right? (laughs) I did not fit in from day one. And of course, in a very conservative Baptist uh, religion or setting, dancing is not even acceptable, right? Like that's immediately seen as, oh, the devil's in her kind of thing. And while I never had that said directly to my face, I know that there were instances where my parents were certainly approached by people in the church. Oh, gosh. Um, Yeah. So it's interesting, too, now being an adult and hearing some of these stories and looking back and it's like, no, I really never fit in. And I really was never going to be held down or limited by that kind of um, a mindset or that kind Mm -hmm. of a box. Right. Yeah. um, That really, as you know went through high school, did all that fun stuff, um, went to university. And it was interesting to me that through my entire journey, I was always searching for more ways to be, be more open and find people who were more open. And mm-hmm. when I came into my kind of sexual maturity and, and sexual own, I suppose, I realized automatically that I was very much drawn to particularly in this case, older men. And I started dating significantly older men at 18. I think I was dating someone who was 30, which that's questionable, you know. Yes, you and I um, have a lot in common. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Right? Because it just makes sense when you're in that sexual prime and you're, you're having all of these epiphanies sexually and you're putting the pieces together. And as a woman, not to generalize, but to generalize, Mm -hmm. always exceptions to the rule, we generally tend to be a little bit more uh, emotionally adult earlier on. So looking for an older man who's kind of had some experience and has gained a little bit of that maturity and um, is maybe able to, yeah, exactly. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's so true. Absolutely. Like I had this, a very similar early dating life or early it was the majority of my life let's be honest (laughs) of being attracted to really 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 old older wealthy men just because I thought that was like oh that's powerful and then of course them introducing me to things and a different kind of world and yeah I don't want to detract a conversation away from you so back to you (laughs) no no and you you hit on a really good point because that is essentially where I was going is a big part of what I was looking for was someone who had the things that I wanted. Yes. Even if I didn't know exactly what that was, seeing someone that had wealth and Mm -hmm. had a sense of stability and was able to do what they wanted and had that freedom was a snapshot into how I wanted my life to be and realizing, I think initially it was subconscious. It's not like I woke up one day and was like, Ooh, I have this power of my pussy, you know, yeah. but <laughs> it was, it was certainly a, a, a unconscious epiphany that my company, my attention certainly gave these older, wealthier men something that they wanted or craved or needed. And I was also getting in a sense at that time, because I wasn't doing it professionally, I was getting mm-hmm. what I wanted, which is a glimpse into this world of mine, right? I was able yes. to kind of, you know, touch the glass ceiling, so to speak. So totally, I think that that's a great, you know, that, that that's essentially why um, I 
was given the opportunity to be introduced to what would eventually become sex work, right? Okay. And as okay. I kind of matured and went through university, got some education, I always came back to the fact that, fuck, I'm really good at dating. Like, really good. <laughs> I can make such a good impression on a first date. I can read somebody. Yeah. You know, and I remember thinking is there something wrong with me? Like, am I a narcissist? Am I mm. a sociopath? You know, because I will make a date or I will meet someone and I, I'm really good at making this first impression. And I was very aware of not necessarily just wanting to please, but wanting to be able to offer something productive or useful mm -hmm. to this individual because I knew that I wanted something from them. Right. in most cases, or wanted to find if there was. At the time, wasn't 100% sure what that meant or what that looked like. Mm -hmm. I just knew that maybe there was something there. And the idea of parlaying that into a job kind of came shortly thereafter. Um, right. So it's very strange how you kind of put the pieces together. And one of the things that I've actually gotten asked more than anything is, don't you feel like you're using someone? Oh, yeah. Or don't you feel like yes. you're using someone or being used? And to that, I say yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Humanity, interpersonal relationships, societies on a larger scale are all examples of human beings using other human beings. Right. That is how we relate to each other. There is a negative connotation in our society right now with yes. the term using, using or being used. Yes. But... I think we need to reframe that and say, as long as it's mutual using and it's done with eyes wide open mm -hmm. and no exploitation on either side, yes. that is a useful relationship. Uh, for instance, me and my partner, I use him. I use him for sex. I use him for emotional security. I use him to help me get ahead in the world financially. And mm -hmm. he uses me for all those things in return. We yeah. are very upfront and open about how we're using each other. Mm -hmm. When it comes to a client, there is a mutual usefulness. They're coming to me for relaxation. They're coming to me for conversation, connection. Yes. They're coming to me for therapy in yeah. some cases. I, I do have a background in massage and kinesiology, so okay. I am a very, very good masseuse. So a lot of them do come to me for that, right? Mm -hmm. And. It is, I'm obviously, I am using them to build my business and get to where I want to go. And I am very upfront about that, not only in any of my advertisements, but in my screening process. So, okay. So why don't we, why don't we get into, yeah, like the sex work part of it. So like what yeah. type of sex work you do and also like how you were able to branch that into like your own independent business. Okay, perfect. Let's do it. So. <laughs> so I was 27 and I was working um, actually for a company doing rehab therapy. I was making fairly decent money and this is what I went to school for. I've always been involved in the fitness industry or the therapy industry in some way. So I was doing essentially what I should have loved to do, but just at the end of the day, wasn't feeling fulfilled. I still mm. wasn't making enough money. Um, so I remember thinking all of this stuff about being good at dating and always right. being paid to date with a job. So I kind of took all that and started to do a little bit of research, you know, and in 
occasionally late at night and looked into some escort sites was like nah that's not my jam mm-hmm. then kind of looked at craigslist and at the time which uh what was uh airs list i think which has now warped into leo list right and um found an ad uh on craigslist that said they were looking for people to do erotic massage and the thing that attracted me to this ad was the fact that it said it was uh, independent and that uh, you were not required to do anything, but essentially at the end of the day, uh, give a hand job, you know, um, right. however you wanted to, to get there. Sex wasn't required, oral wasn't required, kissing wasn't required. It was as much or as little as you wanted. So I thought, I'll try that out. Mm-hmm. So I contacted the person who was um, behind the ad. It turned out to be a guy. Of course, and it always is. For a, yeah, of course, right? <laughs> it always is. That's a whole other thing. Don't that even get me started. another thing. <laughs> we don't have time Stay for on that. track. Stay on track. <laughs> Let's do this. Um, reached out, met him actually in a condo in downtown Vancouver. We sat down, we chatted, and he kind of explained the ins and outs. And at the end of it said, well, if you want to try... He's like, I don't know how much we can charge for you. So we'll, we'll start by charging 120 an hour and see how you do for a few days. By the way, we take 50%. What? Oh, my God. Yeah. So Holy shit. <laughs> me not knowing any better was still like, wow, that's like double what I make in my day job. Okay, let's try it. Yeah. So was set up in a condo in downtown Vancouver and uh, first shift I worked I think I had five or six clients and um it it was a little bit strange the first few because of course your anxiety's high you have no clue what you're doing you know like any job you're like my first day am I gonna do well you know is this what I want to do is it wrong all of those uh doubtful doubtful thoughts that you had all of the um childhood programming kind of bubbles up and and you have to really kind of check yourself and uh, check in with who you are, reevaluate. For sure. But got through it and realized that not only was I good at it, but I enjoyed it. Um, so I think I worked part-time doing that for probably two months and kept my other muggle job yes. and um, <laughs> my PC life and then realized that I, I was just, my head wasn't in the game for what I had been doing my entire life. Mm-hmm. This was definitely uh, exciting. It was new. It was more in line with what I was looking for. So I quit my job and started working for this fellow full time, but very quickly realized that this fellow was essentially the equivalent of a pimp. He had a system where he did all the bookings, he put up all the ads, when I parted ways with him, uh, which was about four months later, uh, I realized, having done research after the fact, that he had about 15 or 16 girls that he was running, and he would he had a different phone number or app number for each of them, and he did all of the booking, pretending he was the girl, right? Right. Around about the time I quit my day job, I noticed bookings would suddenly disappear or Hmm. I would someone would show up and I didn't know they were supposed to be coming so I was kind of like this is weird and one day he showed up at the condo I was working out of drunk off his ass and I kind of put two and two together and and realized that there might be some substance abuse issues there okay he was nice enough guy not abusive not really an asshole just a basic bro you know what I mean like very lost in his own way and I guess this was 
how he felt he could make a decent income. Interesting. So anyhow, this is not how I do anything or have done anything in my life. So I sort of slowly started getting information from him because I realized more and more often that when he would show up, even when he acted normal, he would be high or drunk. And so I would, oh, where do you advertise? Oh, oh, interesting. You know, (laughs) so I got my own little burner phone. And when I would see clients for the next four months, I would say, oh, just so you know, I have a VIP number. Don't contact me on that other number. Here's my new number. And I would give them this number. So I started booking my own clients and kind of built my own little clientele. Gotcha. Smart. Yeah. Smart, maybe. After the fact, I was like, hmm, I don't actually know who he might have been affiliated with, but at the mm. time, it seemed smart. Yeah. Um, and then four months in was just, got to a point where I was like, yeah, no, I just, I, I need to work for myself. This is yeah. so disorganized. There's, it's very stressful. And I'd gotten a handle on what I was willing to provide. And um, one of the things that uh, I realized in kind of these six months working for this guy was that the only thing I was interested in providing was erotic massage with body sliding and hand release, which right. is essentially a hand job. It's a nice way of saying a hand job. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way I was able to come to that decision was I did have some moments where I was like, oh, this guy's really attractive. You know, he wants a covered blowjob. Well, sure. He's willing to pay extra. I'll try that. Right. And just realized that it it didn't cross my boundaries per se, but it certainly created a different relationship with the client that allowed them to believe that perhaps there was a more intimate experience mm. to be had every yeah. time. Oh, you know, oh, it started with a hand job. Oh, okay. This time she gave me a covered blowjob. Oh, maybe next time, you know, she'll let me dine at the Y or go down on her, you know. Right. And for me, that's not what I wanted. I wanted a very specific niche service that people would come back for because it was therapeutic and because it did have all of the safety elements covered. Right. Which are, of course, no fluid exchange, Mm -hmm. just the potential to have someone be more attached to you. And I do know a lot of guys who will go out of their way to look for a provider who will not necessarily kiss or do any of that because they do not want someone who might get the wrong idea on their end later on. Mm -hmm. So I did a little bit of trial and error and realized exactly what I wanted to offer and how I wanted to offer it. So those first four months, while I was working for someone else, were really instrumental in in letting me realize what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. So when I left and went out on my own, I was like, okay, this is, this is me and this is my niche that I'm going to evolve or see at the very least, see if I can evolve because I had at that point connected with a couple other girls that did erotic massage. A lot of them said the same thing. And that was, Oh, you can't just offer erotic massage. You're you're never going to be able to make a lot of money. Some people might just want it, but you know, you have to upsell other things. Really, really interesting. I love (laughs) how you were able to find your niche and and so fast, too, because not every sex worker is going to realize that that they have to do that. And I'm not saying you have to do it, but I find nope. it is really useful and also a smart strategy. It's a universal principle for any business. Mm-hmm. Find a niche and cater to that niche. 
first of all, what works for you and what resonates with you. Because Absolutely. if you can't sell it, no one's going to buy it. Yeah. And you also don't want to like spread yourself too thin and trying to cater to every single fantasy and every single thing. Because one, it's exhausting too. Like you have to really plan out your day if you're going to want to offer yep. all that, you know? So again, like I, I personally don't offer everything under the sun just because I don't have the time and I don't have the capacity for that personally. 100%. But, Whatever you choose is up to you. (laughs) Every single person going into any form of adult entertainment, whatever you are choosing to do, if you buy into the fact that this is what you want to do and you believe that I can make money doing this and you ignore all the other people who say there's no way for you to make money doing it that way because they've never done it that way, you will be able to do it. And that's a big part of honing your mindset when you go into this business if you want to be in this business and you want to stay in this business start telling yourself that yeah I'm fucking gonna do that you know just because no one else has done it doesn't mean it can't be done yes because if you buy into it you start to believe it and you start to move towards that and that was a big part of me distancing myself kind of from sex work adult entertainment work as a whole was because all I was met with was everything I was doing was wrong because mm-hmm. it was slightly different. There's more than one way to skin a cat, always has been. Yes. And if you come <laughs> up with a new, more efficient way to do that, you're going to be kind of reinventing the wheel and you're going to make money. You're going to succeed. Yes. So, and we're definitely going to be talking about reinventing yourself later in the show as well. And as well as more like the mindset and stuff too. So yeah. stay tuned till the end. But let's quickly review um, some kind of client screening, session deposits. I know a lot of people like to hear about security when it comes to working independently. So if you can kindly go into that. And also um, COVID safety too. Like what are you doing nowadays to protect yourself? Let's Let's talk about it. Before we go into the day-to-day stuff, I will say that legally right now in BC, the way it stands as of today, it is legal for in-person sex work to take place. Assuming a few things are kept in mind and some criteria are met. And those are, number one, wear a mask. If you are providing full service, Stop offering kissing. If you are going to offer it, wear a fucking dental dam if you can. I know those those are not usually used for that, Mm -hmm. but they can be. But really, if you're offering full service, consider just saying, you know, these are the reasons why. And I've lost clients because, I mean, I don't offer kissing, Mm -hmm. but simply asking them to wear a mask, which they would do if they went to see a physio, a doctor, an RMT, it, they, oh, really? Yes, unfortunately, yeah, that's what you would do anywhere else. Why would you think the situation would be any different? So right. the more of us that are willing to hold people to that standard, the better. If you are offering someone oral, if you're going down on them, make sure they're wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're going down on you, you wear a mask. There's yeah. a way to There's a way to protect yourself. Have that protection, right? For sure. Making sure that you're screening clients with a COVID-19 screening questionnaire. There is a downloadable PDF, a self-COVID screening. And I send that to every single client and say, read through this. Please let me know if your answer is no to all of the questions. Right. And they do. And what I do is I screenshot that and I save those because if anything does go wrong, I have a record Whenever possible, another big one is the fact that right now we're not supposed to be visiting in home. 
So if you're a provider, consider renting a space outside of your house. Rent a hotel. A lot of them are willing to offer you discounts, especially if you're willing to stay over the weekend. Look around. Look at these options. Yeah, lots of options available. So those are kind of the three big ones. Um, Another one is sanitization. Yes, that's a huge Um, one. If you have a lot of furniture in your space that you're working, uh, if you're not able to kind of set up a workspace with sheets or towels that can be immediately washed, try to cover furniture. You know, like I have a couch. I cover it every single session with sheets and they are removed and washed. Um, Making sure you're sluicing down, washing down with something like Mr. Clean, your work surface, if it's a table, I wash any walls that might be exposed. Um, I do have a bathroom facility available, so the entire bathroom gets washed from top to bottom. Those are the general things that we need to keep in mind. So many great practices. One of the things that I want to say is we can continue to work, continue to work safely while being in a pandemic, you know, mm-hmm. the, the yes. world is opening up. There are a lot of people who are saying, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to change what I do because I might lose clients. My fear from day one has been if I transmit COVID to one single client and that gets out, That's first of all, gonna be good. I'm done yeah. as a business. My clients are then put at risk. The public is put at risk. Yeah. Um, potential legal action coming back at me, you know. All because I didn't wear a mask. Essentially, that's what it boils down to. The biggest part is the masking up. Yeah, there's a lot at um, stake for sure. So like, I'm so glad you brought this up because like, I have, it's been a while since I've done the, the COVID mini series, and I just really wanted to bring this up because obviously like, a lot of us, we still have to operate. We still have to run our business yep. within a pandemic. So I am so glad that you were able to really review and um, note these points and these these practices that in order to ensure your safety. So thank you for that. But can we quickly also go over some client screening and session deposits and security on that front? And then we'll kind of go into boundaries. Yep. So when it comes to my own clients, one of the things I started doing early on was screening. And um, one of the reasons that I started screening was because I didn't run into trouble, but I certainly had some interesting uh, interactions and interesting things happen that made me realize that a screening process of some sort was necessary. And again, going back to the things that you're told you're allowed to do, quote unquote, versus what you're not allowed to do when you go into any avenue of sex work. I was told avidly by existing clients, um, by potential clients, by people in my own personal life, like friends who... I felt comfortable confiding in at the time Mm -hmm. because I didn't confide in everyone immediately um, as well as other providers was you cannot screen. If you start asking people questions, you're going to scare them away. You know, like Mm. it's client based. This is not how it's done. And again, it was a matter of me having a lot of anxiety and worrying that I would lose clients, but also realizing that I needed to have some sort of uh, security, safety, And my business needed to have some longevity, right? Right. So um, one of the interesting things that happened was that when I first started doing this on my own and I branched out and had a workspace is I ended up having issues with uh, the landlord that Mm. I was uh, renting a condo from at the time. And it was in a building that was not live work. 
and I, I had some nosy neighbors who I guess saw individuals coming and going. Oh no. And they, yeah. So okay. experience, as I say, is a stern teacher. And, uh, I actually ended up getting to a point where I saw a client who lived in the same building as me. Oh my um, God. He found my ad and he, you know, <gasps> It was one of those moments where you open the door and your heart falls into your, and you're like, oh, fuck. And, you know, like, just, yeah. what do I do? But I, I took the session and I, I dealt with it. Um, and I did have some issues on and off with this initial landlord. They were quite abusive and quite nasty. And that's what eventually led me to uh, Pivot Legal, which is a local uh, Vancouver organization. They provide legal advocacy for sex workers, among yes. other things. And they referred me to uh, the fellow who is now my general counsel. And, cool. Uh, he was, yes. Awesome. So I actively went looking for an advocate. I said, you know what? I'm not going to be intimidated. I may not be doing things 100% right right now in the sense that, yes, it is uh, a space that was not meant to be used as a workspace, but I'm also not going to be harassed or belittled. Or have someone bully me because they perceive that I'm a woman and I'm, I'm in this space. And right. I was actually able to get my lawyer to not only get me out of the lease that I was in, but to um, eventually take some legal action against him. And it was just a cease and desist. Okay. But still, it's, yeah. it's an example of, of what you need to do. So For sure. This whole instance kind of made me aware that, all right, I need to do some screening. So yeah. I came up with a screening process. The most common thing, I think, women who go out on their own is how do I keep myself safe? Because the most positive things, other than maybe having an established client base, is some semblance of security. Because there are people around who, hopefully, that's the idea, who would help you if something was to go wrong. So if you're out on your own, you didn't, most of us don't have the option of hiring a security guard right. to stand in front of our door or let people in. Yeah. And even if we did, I don't know that clients would love that. So no. um, it's, it's a non-starter. <laughs> um, but there are things you can do. The first thing that I did when I branched out on my own was I had two or three really close girlfriends at the time, and I would always make sure that one of them was available and I would, I would inform clients. I would say, um, when they came in, I just need to check in with, um, my security individual and let them know that I'm safe and that you're here. And so I would send a text to my girlfriend and then I would send her another text when I received my donation. And then Good. I would tell them that this, individual will be checking in five minutes after the allotted end of our session time. And mm -hmm. if I do not respond, they will be calling every minute on the minute for 10 minutes and then calling authorities just for my safety. And I would I inform that. clients. It's yeah. not a fail safe because if someone's going to murder you or, They'll you do know, it. assault you, <laughs> it would be done. Yeah. But what you need to realize too, is that the people that want to do that, they are such a small percentage of Anyone who would be looking for legitimate booked interaction, and they're looking for easy, right? They're really going to be looking for individuals that are on their own, probably in public. Bookings, you know, even sending a text and being asked a few questions is usually too much work for those people. So um, right. 
that is leading me into how and why I screen now. Because at the beginning, I would simply, you know, ask them when they wanted to come a specific time, verify what I offered, what I didn't offer and verify my donation. And then they would show up and I would give them this spiel there about um, checking in, etc. And then I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I don't want to be seeing people who live in my building. I don't want to be put in an instance again where someone shows up and I'm like, oh, you're my neighbor. So yeah. I came up with a bit of a screening questionnaire that I ask all clients. So when a client reaches out to me and is looking for an interaction, messages me. Uh, another thing, and this is a really important point uh, because I know a lot of women do book um, via phone, like a phone call. Do not book via phone call if you can. I know okay. some guys are like, oh, I want to verify you're a woman. I want to hear your voice. Uh, blow past that because if someone's already asking you to verify who you are, they're already subconsciously pushing your boundaries and trying mm. to trying to get the upper hand. They're showing you who they are. Right. They're showing you that they're going to be a little bit high maintenance. Yes. And that's not who I want. You want you want like-minded clients whoever sure. you are whatever your mindset is you want someone who's like you because those are going to be the people that keep coming back yes those are going to be the people that you have good interactions with for sure so number one if you can put in your advertisement i only book via text or email and get a phone number and make sure it's a real number because right now in this day and age we are in the era of app phone numbers you can there's so many of those yes oh and it's scary because as i will tell you when we get into harassment um someone can create 12 13 30 45 50 phone numbers Mm -hmm. and pretend to be a bunch of different people yeah there are apps you can use um there's um a classified phone number lookup i think is the name of one and you can you can put the number in there and it will tell you if it's um wireless connected through an IP address or an actual phone number. Yeah. Now some of some some numbers are private. Some sometimes they'll be like, oh this is out of area because I mean I've had phone numbers from Atlanta contact me, right? So you don't know you don't know who the person is or where they've got this phone number. But you can go out of your way to find these these apps that will will usually tell you within a significant margin of error if it's an app number. And when someone messages, immediately what I'm telling them is, I'm so glad you reached out and my ad caught your attention just so we're on the same page. I do not offer blah, 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 blah. I do offer this. Yes. My donation is this. Do you want to proceed? And then they mm-hmm. can tell me because then they have everything right off the bat. A lot of individuals don't necessarily read ads. They see a photo. They like the photo, they reach out. At that point, when you've reiterated your boundaries, to me, someone shouldn't be asking for extras unless there is a caveat where you say, in some instances, we'll offer fetishes or extras Mm -hmm. to certain clients, right? Right. I do put a caveat in there and I say, returning clients will be offered the option of blah, 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 blah. Yeah, because they've been vetted already, so... And then if the individual wants to continue moving forward right now, what I do is I provide them with my COVID-19 safety checklist. And that's basically, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. And to that end, I wear a mask and I require all clients to wear a mask for the duration of the session. I do take temperature when you enter my apartment. I take temperature. I also um, 
require a COVID-19 self-screening, which I sent an hour prior to the session. Anyone in law enforcement or bylaw or anything was ever to reach out to you, they can see that you've taken all the steps to not only do what you're doing to the highest possible level, but you're you're also doing it legally. Yeah, so, you're protecting yourself. Exactly. And then right. I send a screening questionnaire. Things I ask for are all the categories of information that I'm required to provide on any advertisement site. So if you're on Trist Finder, if you're on Seeking Arrangements, if you're on Leo List, mm-hmm. even if you're on Twitter and using that, most structured sites that are aimed at any sort of sex work or adult interaction mm-hmm. are asking you for your measurements, your hair color, your eye color. They're asking you for your height, your weight, your ethnicity. We as providers put that out there. And of course, anyone can lie. But at the end of the day, most providers don't because yeah. if we're saying we're a six foot three blonde hair, blue eyed woman, and they're showing up and they're finding, you know, someone who's four foot 11, they're not going to be pleased. So the information we're putting out there is how people select who they're going to come see. So for me, psychologically speaking, I want to be on a similar level playing field with any client. For sure. And that means asking them for all that commiserate information. So I do ask for age, height, weight, ethnicity. Well, screening is kind of a psychological safety step because Mm -hmm. the more questions you ask someone, the more they'll reveal who they really are. Right. Or the more they will. I've had a lot of guys who blow up. They're like, I don't want to answer that. Okay, mm-hmm. great. You've just screened yourself out yeah. of. You're not seeing client. me. <laughs> exactly. End of story. And, that, and that's going back to your point about how how do you create a secure environment, a safe environment for yourself? Number one is use your intuition. Yeah. If something feels wrong, I don't care how perfect this person sounds. If it feels just a little off, don't have that client come over. Just yes. do not do it. Or practice something which I call progressive overload, which is a psychological term. And that's the idea of asking more and more and more and more questions, because as you do this, a person's ability to hide who they are or what they're actually looking for becomes, is is lowered over time. Because Mm -hmm. people who just want a quick fix, they're not going to respond to more than one or two texts, Right. right? And if you're asking them to actually provide information about who they are, um, in kind of a written conversational form, people who are not your people are going to weed themselves on, out automatically. Right. So that like is that. the biggest, I think, um, tool we have is For sure. use your psychology. Use mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, you, you do, you are in a position of power in the sense that you decide if this person comes or doesn't come, right? Yeah. And when I say screening and asking these questions about height, weight, and all that, all good information one of the biggest uh, pieces of information I'm looking for is I ask them for their city of residence. And okay. I ask them to specify if they're in Vancouver, what part of the city? Are you in Kitts? Are you in Carisdale? Are you in Yelltown? Right? Okay. And a lot of clients will say Vancouver or downtown Vancouver. And yeah. I always respond with, oh, I see that you said you're in downtown Vancouver. Just so you're aware, I do not see clients who reside within a certain co- kilometer radius of my workspace, that's for my own live work. Yeah, that's for my own live work. Well-being, also, I like to avoid awkward interactions. If you tell someone, I like to avoid awkward interactions, 
they're much they're like oh right yeah yeah like, totally oh, i don't want that they're more and understandable they're much more likely to provide more detail because if someone says they're in the downtown area my follow-up question is would you please provide two cross streets within a block to a block and a half of where you live right oh wow very and, thorough and a lot of people will say no i don't want to offer it. okay no worries i don't feel comfortable seeing you without that mm-hmm. thank you so much for being willing to converse with me have a lovely day if you say that, oftentimes people will call your bluff and be like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, you know, it's fine. And, and, or people will be like, I don't know why I have to offer that. Right. And I respond with, you are coming into my space. Yeah. You're not only going to be getting my address, you're going to be getting my unit number. Yeah, um, all of so, this information. Yeah. Yeah. I'm coming to the center of the table with the info I'm providing to you. You also need to come forward and we need to have some sort of a tentative trust. Yeah. So having that dialogue screening process back and forth is really important. Um, and you... that's how I determined who I'm willing to see and, and who I'm not. Um, and that's the biggest, I think, uh, security uh, step that you can take as an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, a- another big one is if you live in a condo building that allows the residents uh, or owners, if you own, to um, tie into their closed circuit uh, camera system, a lot oh. of a lot of buildings do allow this. Oh wow! You can actually, yeah, you can actually. It's just like getting a, a Bluetooth number or whatever, and you're like, oh, it's um, network whatever, and you click on it, and they'll ask you for a password, and you can actually see the cameras at the front um, or rear entrance of the building in a lot of cases. So oh wow! That I didn't might know that. also be an option. Cool. Yeah, it's worth looking into. Not all places offer Yeah, I would imagine um, not everything is going to be offered that openly. But thank you so much for sharing your very thorough security and screening process. Like, you mentioned a lot of things that haven't been said on the show yet. So thank you. And I really hope that these tips will help a lot of sex workers out there, especially if they're doing any kind of massage or full-service sex work. This stuff is very, very, very applicable to that. Um, I wanted to steer the conversation over to where your boundaries have been crossed. So I wanted to hear your story in regards to harassment and stalking and what happened there. If you if you want to go into it, <laughs> if you want to go into um, it, <laughs> it's up to you. Uh, well, yes. And that's actually, um, I think it's one of the more important things that needs to be talked about because um, discussing harassment and stalking which is obviously on a different level than Mm -hmm. just someone being bothered or irritated um still i think everyone in any sort of adult entertainment has had their boundaries crossed and crossed multiple times probably again and again you know i i know a lot of girls who are um strippers and on a nightly basis, their boundaries are crossed. And while we don't call that harassment per se, particularly if it's just, you know, oh, hey, can you give me another, you know, can you give me an extra lap dance? Hey, you know, would yeah. you like grind on my dick and the VIP, you know, even even if it's, even if that's the sum total of what happens and it's as simple as saying no, it is still a form of harassment. And I think sure. everyone has encountered it. I know that I've encountered it my entire life, you know, since yeah. I was since I hit puberty. Yep. So yep. it's, it's interesting uh, just as a thought completely unrelated to what I'm about to say, how we normalize a certain level of harassment um, mm-hmm. as, as women, which is really just that undercurrent of kind of misogyny and entitlement yes. that certainly is still very prevalent in, um, 
in our world today, particularly in Canada and yeah. Vancouver. Um, and, you know, we just normalize it. We, I know. Yeah, and I think part of it is just a uh, safety mechanism because if we don't mm-hmm. normalize it, we would spend our entire day fixating on all of the times that our boundaries were violated, you know, on an ongoing basis. So, and I say that because I think that everyone's encountered some sort of harassment um, or stalking in in some form, particularly now we have all these keyboard warriors. So mine is my (laughs) own story, but we've all had it. And I think it's, it's no more or less, uh, significant or insignificant uh no matter how intense or non-intense it is Mm -hmm. um but but there are obviously cases where it becomes a little bit more extreme and um, yes i've encountered everything from having like i've had death threats to my work phone i've had people uh message pretending they were a client and then as i progressively went through my screening process this person started telling me how they had raped multiple women and they were going to rape me. Jesus. This particular instance, and this is why I will say, I think it's really important for anyone in any line of adult entertainment uh, business to have access to their own legal counsel or to legal advocacy if they need it. Because Mm -hmm. in this particular instance, I actually kept this guy talking for a while, got my lawyer on the phone as I'm texting with this guy and we we were actually able to report this person to uh, the local police. Um, oh wow! Okay. We didn't ever find find out if there was any follow up, but at okay. the very least, I was able to through the um, anonymity of of my lawyer, mm-hmm. I was able to report this person because Good. that's another big thing is if someone is harassing you, you. Your biggest concern usually as a sex worker is, oh my God, is this going to affect my business if I go to the authorities? That is still such a ever-present fear. For Um, sure. So I've had a harassment like that on and off to my work phone, to my email. Um, But to me, that's that's some idiot who's having a bad day or who's just an asshole at heart, you know, sitting behind his computer and just trying to throw pain out into the world. So yeah. those are more, I, I don't want to say ignorable, but they are. They're more kind of just like, oh, all right, here's an idiot, you know? Yeah. So, so I've had a lot of those kind of interactions. Okay. So uh, what my, happened over time. here? Pardon? What happened with um, your harassment and stalking story specifically? The instance that I actually had someone cross that boundary Uh, into kind of going from just being an asshole at the other end of a text message um, was actually an individual that I had dated and had a relationship with. And um, this takes me kind of into another area, which is um, maintaining your boundaries um, as a provider. Mm -hmm. Because maintaining that kind of client-provider relationship is very important because when people come to see you initially – they're buying into this fantasy, this idea of you, so to speak. And it's it's very difficult psychologically, subconsciously to move someone's mind out of the, oh, she's this fantasy, mm-hmm. you know, that I came and saw. So if you do kind of want to breach that boundary, best case scenario is you end up having a relationship with the person and it becomes real. And I've heard yeah. of that happening 
but it's certainly a very rare exception, not yes. the rule. Usually it ends up in, if not messy situation, you're yeah. at least out of client, you know, yeah. um, or it can be very awkward. Yeah. And so <laughs> I relating to clients has always been professional, professional, professional. Mm-hmm. I did allow that boundary to be breached. I did actively chose to uh, engage personally with a client. Uh, it was the first time that this had ever happened. And um, someone asked me out and they were very adults emotionally about the way they did it. They were very, you know, wh- when I screen a client, I let them know that this will only be a professional interaction. And right. if they do at some point ask for more, they will immediately be fired as a client. So mm-hmm. this person, you know, had come and seen me once and then asked if they were able to see me socially. And he okay. uh, referenced that um, specifically that he was aware that I did not cross boundaries. Okay. But that uh, he was wondering if in this case I would make an exception. Uh, he realized it was a, technically a violation of my boundaries, but here were all the reasons that he felt it was appropriate. And if I was offended, he was so sorry. I could, should just let him know. So there was a lot of dialogue, adult sounding dialogue that went along with it. So okay. I, of course, allowed myself to go out with this individual. I don't know, of course, but I did. And um, ended up actually having a, a dating relationship with this person for over a year. It was a great interaction in many ways, but looking back on it, having journaled and done my own kind of recap, I see all the instances where, you know, there were little red flags and those red flags came from, he had this idea or ideal of who I was. And as I progressively became more human and was just who I am on a daily basis, the, the relationship certainly didn't hold itself up to what he expected, which was I think a fantasy, you know? Right. So we dated, we parted ways. And I will say for the, uh, for the purposes of this, because it became legally relevant was he, he chose to break off the relationship and I was, I was heartbroken. I mean, no one's ever happy when you break up with someone and, uh, but moved on with my life. And, uh, probably about three months after we parted ways, um, I started getting emails from him. Um, Initially, they started out as kind of him looking for closure and just Hmm. his musings on our time together and all that. Oh, gosh. In my mind. Yeah. And and I was like, okay, this is nice, but um, I'm your ex and it's not my job to be your friend or to help you through a breakup. So Yeah. And he broke up with you. So what the fuck? Yes, that's kind of how I feel. Yeah. But it is what it is. People, people are strange. So I ended up um, blocking his um, blocking his email address. You can go into your Gmail. If most yes. of us use Gmail or Proton Mail, you, you can actually create a filter to filter out specific um, emails, which yes. I did not know. Um, you can just if you just block an email address, usually it'll still show up in your inbox or in some inbox, and you'll have to see it. But you can actually create a filter. So I went through and I did that. And he obviously had inner working of of my work and what I did and and all that. So I knew that he had my work email address as well. So I also um, altered it out there. And at that point, it was just more a matter of realizing that I was over the situation and that I didn't really want to interact with this person socially or otherwise. You know, sometimes we have exes we keep as friends. This was not the case. It was over and done. So I kind of, I blocked him on a personal level personal level and yeah. 
Then I started getting text messages, which when I didn't respond got nastier. As it got progressively worse, I ended up blocking uh, his number to my personal phone. And this is kind of the point where it moved into what eventually became harassment. And I will say that establishing a pattern of harassment and or stalking is very challenging, particularly in this day and age where a lot of it can take place online. You, Mm -hmm. You need to collect a lot of data and kind of swim through a lot of shit before you're actually able to have enough information to supply the legal requirement or moniker of harassment. And it's it's not fun. It's not fun. It's certainly important to remember that if you're going through a situation where you are being harassed or someone is treating you incorrectly, the the saving grace is in this day and age that if they're doing it digitally, Mm -hmm. there is a trail and you are able to screenshot or save emails and you do have the proof after the fact, which is what happened in this instance. This individual did no longer have access to me or my personal contact information. Okay. So he started to reach out to me through my work. Oh, gosh. Uh, email and phone numbers. And um, at, at the end of the day, I think he ended up creating over 20, 25 fake app numbers. And oh he God. would message me multiple times daily from one number. And then he'd scrap that number and he'd get another one. For two months, no, three months, it ended up being, I endured daily text messages, everything from, you know, you're a narcissistic cunt through to, you know, you do know that you're a waste of space and you you do nothing but take from society and all of the worst things that we, we as sexy people Mm -hmm. uh, think of ourselves because that's, the puritanical mindset that we've even been brought up with or the shame that's been put on it socially. Yeah. All of the worst things, obviously him having some inner workings of me and my business and obviously me as a person knew yeah. some of my insecurities and oh, was able no. to throw so that sorry. in there. So it was certainly stressful and it was, you know, p- people talk about PTSD and I, I've always been like to anyone who's suffering from any form of, anxiety-related trauma or stress-related trauma. I have a tiny glimpse into what you go through just because of the mental and emotional strain that went on, and it's terrible. Eventually, what was able to give us kind of the precedence to move forward and to have some sort of action taken was the fact that um, he started referencing watching me on Instagram. You know, he would say things like, oh, I had my buddies over. We were watching you pole dance. You're such a fucking fat slob. And so at that point, I I kind of looked at my social media and was like, oh, I've always kind of kept the two really far apart. But now, you know, this is someone who does know my personal self. What might they be doing with regards to putting information out in the world on smut sites, on uh, gossip sites, on slander sites? Yeah. um, Kind of violating my own boundaries by taking information that's personal and kind of making the connection between that and my sex work. Yeah. Which, and and this is another important point. You can be out and proud about your sex work. You should still maintain a persona that is in some way separate from your personal life because there are people that just don't need to know what you ate for breakfast. They just don't need to know, you know, where you go to the gym or, you know, that you went to the eye doctor today, right? 
And everyone has the right to have a private social media presence that's separated from their work social media presence, however that looks. So I do feel like people should be proud of what they do, but I do think we all have the right and I think it's a right we should exercise to yeah. kind of keep a little bit of distance, right? And to, and the right to privacy, chooses, basically. When someone chooses to violate that boundary for you, I, I mean, it's just, it's the ultimate mind fuck. So we found out that this person was all over my social media. And then when I kind of made it all private, would send me messages saying, oh, sucks that I can't watch how stupid you are, you know, today and that kind of thing. So we were aware over time that this individual um, not only was trying to watch me in other avenues of my life, but Mm -hmm. was also slowly bit by bit revealing who he was. From day one, I was 100% sure that this was that individual. But with references to our time together, to things that we've done, he actually identified himself without identifying himself. And that eventually led to having three months of recorded harassment. And we got to the point where we hit the threshold of, okay, this has crossed a line and now we can legally take action. Wow. So, Oh my God. I am so sorry that you had to go endure that for, you said three months? Yeah. Like on a daily basis. Oh my gosh. I, I just can't imagine what that, what that toll, like that would take on your mental health. It's a challenge, but yeah. I think the point at the end of the day is that it goes back to the instance I had with my landlord to instances I've had with other potential clients who start to get threatening. If I tell them that I don't offer this or don't offer that, or at the end of the day, we have those moments of anxiety where we're like, Oh my God, this is the worst thing that could happen. Um, One of the things that my ex partner did while he was harassing me was he threatened to go to my strata um, and to out me to the strata what you need to realize is none of this actually happened. So that's the important thing to, to take away from this. In my instance was there were a lot of threats that were taking, taking place. Mm-hmm. And from my end, not a single one has resulted in, in anything of it being true. But even knowing this, you have those moments of extreme anxiety thinking, oh my God, this is over. And for anyone who's gone through this, and and I know some people in in the Vancouver and the lower mainland uh, sex work industry who have recently gone through more extreme stalking situations where people have tried to break in. And for those people who are having those moments of panic and that sense of that creepy sense that someone is watching them just hold your head up and keep going because that's Good. that's what I did. Yeah. And find yourself legal advocacy. That is the yes. big thing. And having someone that you can talk to, this is disgusting and despicable. Mm-hmm. So what needs to happen in order for us to take action legally is X, Y, and Z. You know, right. keep me posted. And in my case, it was waiting for there to be enough harassment ongoing to right. actually justify doing what we did, which was we sent a letter of cease and desist wow. um, to him. And um, interestingly enough, uh, this individual felt the need to respond, and he responded personally. And I'm going to say right now to anybody uh, in any line of work, but particularly in sex work, uh, if you ever receive an official letter from a law firm, and if it should have a letterhead, so mm-hmm. look it up, make sure it's a real law firm. Yes. <laughs> do, do not answer it yourself. Ever. And that was, an, uh, that was a mistake that this fellow made. Was ah. He received the letter. 
and he chose to answer it himself. The reason being, lawyers know the legalese, yeah, and they are able to answer with a, without a sense of emotional attachment. They are yeah. going to answer from a legal perspective. They're not going to give anything away. If you answer a letter yourself, you are going to kind of reveal more of who you are mm-hmm. um, and more of more of your bias in a yeah. certain situation. And um, that's what this individual did. And um, the day after this letter was sent to him and then he responded that same day, um, the entire onslaught, texting, emailing, any online harassment stopped. So oh, I'm so um, glad to hear there is an end in sight. Um, yes. And one of the things that I think you need to realize when you're dealing with bullies, particularly with online bullies, because harassment takes it to a new level, but essentially these are, these are bullies. These are people mm-hmm. who are sad. They have their own stuff, whatever. And they're just using you as kind of a, an avenue to funnel their, their hurt and their sadness right. through. Um, so, but what they're doing is they're not actually thinking logically or rationally. They're mm-hmm. just threatening what they think will cause you anxiety. And usually it does, but again, it, it's a bluff. And just keeping in mind that when you do encounter these things, that it's it's not reality. It needs to be dealt with, but it's not reality. And that you just need to cut yourself some slack and find the people who can advocate for you legally and can also advocate for your mental health. You know, yeah. people who can just be like, this is fucked up. I'm so sorry you're going through this. You know, having one or two people like that, having someone who says, a therapist, a counselor who says, okay, yeah, you're going through this. Yes, this person's imposing it on you. But at the end of the day, you're still responsible for your own anxiety and emotions. So Mm -hmm. what can you do um, for yourself to, excuse me, to retain your sanity? Right. So it's really important to have those, those, um, those advocates available to you. Mm-hmm. I wonder, like, I, and I'm so glad that just ended after he was served with that season desist letter. Can you tell us a little bit about the aftermath in terms of, like, did you have to make a new social media? Uh, obviously, getting new numbers. How yep. were you able to reinvent yourself after that and pick up all the pieces? Absolutely. And these are really good questions because I do feel like uh, in a lot of cases, um, if, if you go through something like this, you don't even want any reminder of yeah. the situation. And that can be that can be the persona or the name that you operated under. That can mm-hmm. be um, the, the sites that you're using for advertisement. So one of the things that I did uh, about two weeks before we served the cease and desist was we realized he was... Um, accessing all of my advertisements because he knew where I advertised. He was on all my social media. He would say things like, I have people watching you. So we weren't sure if there was friends of his that might have inadvertently been accepted as friends into private social media or if it was just a bluff. So I, I deleted all of my advertisements and that was an advertisement cachet um, on three different sites that I've had since I started my own business. So almost uh, six, six and a half years of oh. advertising as one person, as one persona, um, also having that history of advertising and something someone could look up. Oh, she advertised. He, oh, she advertised two years ago. She's been around. There is a, a history there. People could see um, the number of times my ad had gone up and the number of times it had been reviewed and the number of times it had been viewed. So um, 
that gives you a lot of clout in the sense that you're established, right? And um, uh, I deleted all that, which um, ended up creating a little bit of a rift um, with regards to my in-person sex work for a while because I had quite a a following. I was able to move client numbers over, but Mm -hmm. um, in the interest of discretion, obviously you're not going to be messaging yeah, you know, your entire roster of clients, that's not appropriate. So um, <laughs> in a lot of cases, you don't know if these people are even going to, you know, see a new advertisement, even if it's obviously you, even if it's some of the same photos, even right. if it's a similar moniker, people would used to look me up using a specific title. And if that's not there, then where are they going to go? Right? Yeah, so it was certainly challenging. For sure. It's not the first time that I've, I've done something like this. It's, and I think reinvention can be really cathartic because mm-hmm. it lets you start from Fresh. square one and it lets you apply everything you've learned to that point to kind of a blank slate. So Great. what I did was I deleted that. I deleted my social media and I basically started, started it all from scratch mm-hmm. and just actively spent probably three or four months just sitting and populating things, posting ads, reconnecting kind of the rabbit trails of who I'd been before in some ways with this new persona that I'd created. So, you know, making people aware in my ad, it does say, you know, I've operated under other nom de plumes and I I put it in there, right? So Mm -hmm. a bunch of people have found me and they're like, oh my God, I couldn't find you. Yeah. Where did you go? But one of the things that has happened in the last month and a half the business is growing at a very, very fast rate. And I Good. am getting more consistent new clients that are in line with kind of the business I run now, which is I've, I've moved. I used to offer erotic massage, but I've also moved into certain fetish and domination yes, niches. Um, that's right. So that's also been a big part of the reinvention is realizing that as I've grown and changed, I do want to offer other things because I'm a different person now. I am sexually aware of who I am and my sexual mm-hmm. power and how I want to how I want to use that as kind of a new lens for therapeutic services and so I've been able to kind of bring that in and fuse it all by basically starting from square one again and yeah. I think that there is huge value in starting from square one because it lets you sum everything up and say, okay, this is where I was. This is who I was. This is what I was doing. This is everything that's happened to me. And I will say that this whole harassment experience, it forces me to learn, grow, and shore up all of my weak links, whatever those might be. You have to do an examination, not only of your business, but yourself, your mindset. And you, you basically use it to like, move you forward and create that new persona and to essentially reinvent yourself. So I have all of this new legal knowledge. I have all of this new awareness and confidence that, you know what, this is what I offer. This is how I offer it. If you don't like it, that's okay. There's a million other providers in the city and in the world, right? Yeah. So um, this is what I do and this is how I do it. And just re-honing that kind of attention to detail on kind of a new level, you know, it's mm-hmm. like I walked up five staircases and now, you know, I've got this amazing long hallway of opportunity that I'm yes. able to kind of uh, utilize on a completely different level. You know, I'm, I'm in the penthouse now where before I might have just been, you know, on the 14th or 15th floor, you yeah. know, which is great. I love but, that. You know, 
it's been a process, but I will say that that instance, you know, they say trials and tribulations make you stronger. Yes. And it seems like bullshit when you're in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah. But when you go through, like when you reach kind of the, the next level, you know, you, you are, you're on a whole, whole nother playing field. And it's opened me up as well to the fact that there's this whole world of digital content creation. Yes. And I've found a niche there as well and started to, um, move myself online yay which has been yes i mean yeah yeah where's why are we not utilizing this internet world that's looking for you know exactly what i offer how many billions of people have access to the internet so mm-hmm. there's going to be a percentage of people who want you and what you're offering specifically because you have that look or you have that yeah. persona or you have that accent or you you have whatever it is they're looking for so it's actually been quite amazing. And of course, every day you you kind of check yourself and you think, oh my God, you know, what's the next bad thing that's going to happen? At the end of the day, El- Eleanor Roosevelt said, and I'm not a fan of her, but I love this <laughs> quote, and okay. that uh, we have nothing to fear, but fear itself. And I yes. think that anyone in the adult entertainment industry, keep that in the back of your mind, because the second you allow yourself to be catatonic or belittled or to make yourself small by the words of other people, the harassment of some asshole, no matter how intense it might be, it, it all starts with you, right? Like Absolutely. You, you derive the power from, from the actual words. So I love everything a- that you've said here. Seriously. Like, and I'm, I'm so happy to hear where you've come where you what you've gone through and where you're going. It just shows tremendous growth. And I love that you are constantly reinventing yourself. Even now, as you said, like there's this whole online market that's untapped. And I'm so glad that you are now taking strides to see that opportunity that is is there, basically. So thank you. Like your story was absolutely incredible. And I don't wish anyone to go through no that at all. Like I... It was just like my jaw was just dropped. I'm like, oh my god, I can't, I can't even imagine. So it, it is challenging, but yeah. I think you know you can come through it. That's the For important sure. thing. And um, there are people out there who will help you. You yes. know, um, one of the mm-hmm. important things I should say in this whole harassment situation, I did not once reply to any of these messages, and that was one Good. of the saving graces that allowed us to actually take legal action was the fact that I ignored, 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 ignored. And so, you know, a lot of people will just be like, oh, you're a whore, you're a bitch. And I'll just, you know what? I'm so glad that in this day and age, everyone's allowed to have an opinion. And I'm so glad that you feel comfortable enough with me, a stranger, to be able to send me something, which is obviously a reflection of the hurt you're going through and use it as a way to vent your negativity. And hopefully you feel better. And I wish you a wonderful day or something like that. Yeah. What you do is I've had people before who are like, Oh, you know, I guess you're pretty ugly. And I'm like, well, to you, I guess I am ugly. So yeah, you're right. Because obviously I'm not your taste. So (laughs) there's nothing you can do. Uh, There's very little someone can do if you agree with them, you know? Yeah. And Sometimes that's all you need to do. You either need to be that black hole that just absorbs it and then like turns it into positivity and shits out glitter on everyone else who's around you. Or I love you throw you throw love back to them. And it mm-hmm. sounds so fluffy and new age, but I swear it works. And I've had people who have come back days later 
and said, I said a terrible thing to you. Not yeah. me. And this doesn't happen. But I've had complete and total strangers who said terrible things and they've apologized. Good. And I just, you know, like you figure, and that's because you know who you are and you're not willing to kind of, you're not re- willing to react with anger or throw the anger back at them. Mm-hmm. So that's, wow. the, that's the biggest thing is do not, do not belittle yourself yes. um, by, by lowering yourself to kind of their level, you know? Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm really glad you shared that. There's just a couple questions that came in here, which we'll quickly just go over and then we'll wrap things up. So um, first question here is, did the stalking incident traumatize you and how are you healing? Good question. So I'm I'm loathe to use the word trauma because too many people in the world, just like I'm loathe to use the word depression, mm-hmm. there are people in the world who are truly traumatized. Yes. Like have gone through hell. So the term trauma is is not something I directly associate with what I went through. Extreme stress and anxiety that resulted in um, me feeling depressed and down and negative would be more of a, a way to characterize it. it. It is hard and it's challenging and it's more of a mind fuck than anything to think this is a person that I truly cared about and loved and they're they're sending these things daily I don't deserve wow where did this come from it's completely you know counterintuitive to anything this person ever said to me you know so Mm -hmm. it's it's more that mind fuck place where you you know you're you're just constantly defensive and you're 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 questioning yourself am I a good person you know what did I do wrong oh Maybe I am these things because you hear them often enough. So mm-hmm. tra- trauma, no, certainly okay. a lot of mental and emotional anxiety and self-doubt. And right. what I did, um, apart from being sure I had the, the legal advocacy, because that, that in itself provides a lot of reassurance and uh, provides you with a certain amount of ease. Because even if you're like as was the case with my lawyer, when I originally took it to him, he said, honestly, we're not at a place right now where it would make sense to do anything because we cannot involve the police. He hasn't, uh, he, there's not enough of a pattern of abuse to establish harassment yet. So just keep keep um, documenting things and keep me looped in. Don't worry, keep doing what you're doing. You know, I said, well, he's threatened to go to my strata. He's like, well, if the strata has an issue, we'll deal with it then. But right now, uh, it's it's his issue. So just relax. You're not doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Reiterating all the things we know, but having it from someone who comes from that that place of of knowledge and expertise, right? So that that's number one. That that was the biggest way I think that I dealt with it is have that ongoing um, interaction with him and also with um, Pivot Legal. There's a few people there who are sex work advocates. Um, some are lawyers. Some are not. Um, uh, but they all have a working knowledge of uh, the legalese of sex work in Canada and in BC in particular. So being able to go to them and just say, you know, oh, this happened today or this is going on or double checking to make sure that, um, you know, oh, I'm still operating and this is the situation. Do you think that there's anything different I could do that would help to insulate me or my business? So mm-hmm. making sure you have the the avenues to like advocate from someone who, who is level-headed because much as they'll feel for you, they're not going through your anxiety. So okay. that's number one. Number Good. two is having a support system. And um, in my case, that was 
I do have a counselor that I'll go see and just sitting down and talking about what this meant for me, taking it away from, oh, this isn't fair. Why is this person doing this? You know, I love this person. I'm so hurt to, okay, this is happening. Why is this affecting you so deeply? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, is there other underlying things that you might need to work on? How do you use this to reinvent yourself on all levels and make yourself stronger mentally, emotionally, physically? How do you use this as a way to take responsibility for boundaries that you allowed to be crossed? And this goes back to the fact that I said I have those, have always had those boundaries of never crossing from client to personal interaction. That was a boundary I actively chose and allowed to have crossed. Right. Now that doesn't mean I, I deserved to be harassed. You know, no one ever deserves to be harassed or abused in any way, but without being able to kind of face your, your attacker and, you know, sit down and have a logical discussion because these people aren't logical. That's not an option. We're not going to be able to sit down and get the closure we need from these people. So with with that kind of gone, mm-hmm. what do we have left? We have ourselves left. So then it's a matter of looking inside and saying, okay, well, what, what do I need to do to be sure this doesn't happen again? How can I take responsibility if there is responsibility to be taken so that I don't victimize myself? Because I will say, I was feeling pretty sorry for myself there for a while. And that is a natural thing. Have a pity party. But mm-hmm. if you stay in that mindset of feeling sorry for yourself, you eventually become a victim in your own mind. And you, right. you act from that victim mentality of, oh, this happened to me. Oh, and, and it becomes more of a matter of looking for revenge. And it, it can definitely kind of bind your hands with regards to moving forward and healing yourself. So, okay. yeah. Okay. Great, great. Yeah, great tips there. Like, um, you made some really, really awesome points and really real points, too. So thank you for sharing. You're welcome. I guess the last question here is, when or at what point should you get the police or a lawyer involved? That's a really good question. Yeah. For me, I'm... So I have something called generalized anxiety disorder. Um, I was born with it. It basically means I have a sense of heightened anxiety about everything. I'm slightly OCD. And so I've always been that person that wants to plan and try to sanitize any situation so that I'm going to encounter the least amount of anxiety from it at any point going forward. So for me, I had a lawyer already because when I went into this line of work and encountered any sort of friction, I immediately was like, I I need to be able to go to someone who knows me and believes in what I do and is able to advocate for me. So Mm -hmm. for me, it was imperative to get a lawyer early on in this business. It's interesting. I've spoken with a number of people about this and everyone kind of describes a moment where they're when they're being harassed or when someone is like accusing them of something or when someone is is being that that keyboard warrior to them Mm -hmm. where where they're like fuck I wish I had someone to like intervene for me you know like I wish because obviously this person isn't hearing me right so the second you have a feeling like that like oh my god this is bigger than me this is really you know stressing me out like this person is just not hearing me um and you kind of go to that place of um feeling like almost like a little kid 
get someone involved, right? And um, with, with regards to a lawyer, I mean, uh, I know money's usually tight uh, for anyone living in Vancouver, because, hey, we live in Vancouver and it's expensive. And uh, life right now in COVID is particularly uh, challenging uh, financially for a lot of people. But yes. there are a lot of places out there where you can go for advocacy. Yes. Um, pivot, <clears throat> pivot Legal. Look up Pivot Legal. There's a number of phone numbers and emails that you can reach out to on their website. And you can speak to someone who knows the ins and outs of the sex work industry. They'll be able to explain the current laws. They'll be able to give you the details on anything. And that's actually how I was led to my lawyer. So um, I would say sooner rather than later. Yeah. Um, be- before you feel you really need one is usually the right answer. With regards <laughs> to the police, mm-hmm. if you are in any danger, I mean, call 911 immediately. I mean, yeah. if, if this person ever showed up in my area because we've served him with a cease and desist, if I was to see him um, on my street or in the area and he was to even walk towards me, I'd be calling the police because that's the only way a cease and desist works because yeah. otherwise they assume you're not being serious about it. Right. Um, but <clears throat> I mean, if, if someone is making you feel unsafe, I don't care if it's a client in the middle of a session. I don't care if it's someone you're going on a first date with. If you ever feel unsafe, call the police. When you talk about the, the legalese of sex work, calling the police is one thing, but having someone to advocate for you with the police after the police have dealt with the imminent threat, that's a whole nother issue. And I think mm-hmm. that's why kind of knowing that law enforcement will come and will support you if you're in immediate physical danger is super important, but also having the legal person who's in your corner because um, as we all are aware, the police can sometimes turn the situation around a little bit and potentially cause possibly some issues for you, um, yeah. even if you are the victim. This so is so true. I think they go hand, hand in hand, you know, mm-hmm. absolutely. M- make sure you are taking full advantage of law enforcement, uh, but also make sure that if you are, if you have access to a lawyer or legal counsel, that you have that information with you because, um, if anything ever goes wrong in my life, I mean, my lawyer's the first person I'm calling. Great. It, it, he's he's there to have my best interest in heart at heart, not just looking at the situation as a whole and trying to mediate between two people or mediate between me and the situation that I say happened. Right. So mm-hmm. it's a uh, there are two two different sides of the coin, both necessary sides, but um, with regards to advocating for yourself, it's important to have, I think have both right yeah. there are two weapons in your arsenal exactly um, awesome yeah, that is it that then that is a wrap but before <laughs> before i let you go <laughs> where can we find you so i am on instagram um under the hypnotic hedonista um feel free to add me the account is currently private um but i pretty much accept everybody um <laughs> and then i I do advertise. Um, I'm on Leo List uh, again as the hedonista. Um, I do accept limited new clients right now um, mm-hmm. for in-person sessions, assuming yes. they pass my screening, of course. Yes. Um, I, I do have an OnlyFans as well. I I would more like to extend kind of the invitation if there's anyone out there. Um, in the adult entertainment industry who's been dealing with anything 
with regards to legalese or business issues, I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert, but what I do have is I have some knowledge and some experience and I do have some connections yes. and I'm happy to dialogue with you and certainly provide a bit of a support system. And then I do have um, obviously other resources that I could potentially direct you to. So if anyone Yay, needs yeah. to talk or needs support, uh, if they reach out to you or if they want to find me somewhere, uh, feel free to certainly reach out because um, I mean, that's, that's how we learn and lift each other up and move yes. forward. Right. So yeah, I'll be sure to send anyone your way if they come through me. So thank you for being so open. And most importantly, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's incredibly intimate and also really raw. And I'm really glad that you, you've showed all sides too. Cause not often, like oftentimes we will not speak too much about you know, the harassment that we have to endure on a daily basis but like in extreme cases like yours where that can go and how to protect yourself further so thank you for having this conversation with me the headnista it was so great to speak on this topic i've been dying to speak on a topic like this so thank you <laughs> you're welcome thanks so much for having me on and thank you for everything you do um thank for you. our community for connecting <laughs> us that's it's invaluable, right? Because I think we are all looking to kind of level up and yes. be those business people. You know, we we are the future kind of of social change because mm-hmm. it, it we're on that cutting edge of crossing the line between you know sexuality and religion and and kind of all those taboo areas. So someone like you who connects us and puts our stories out there in such a professional way that it, it, it elevates all of us. And I think that's, Thank you. that's the key there, the elevation. So thanks so much for having me on and yeah. you are wonderful. Thank you so much for the kind words. Honestly, the least I can do, but everyone uh, listening in, don't forget it's strip Icia on Instagram or my personal Sia Steph. Don't forget it's new episodes every single Sunday. If you want to like, rate, subscribe, share, write a nice pretty little review for me. That'd be awesome. And that's all folks. We'll catch you guys in another episode next week. Bye. You're listening to Strip by Sia. Hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia. Artwork by Maria Bellantarama, music by Ted D, and photography by Ian Dabern. Thank <laughs> you.